Good morning. It is Monday, March 29th, and you are listening to Primetime with Parker Primrose. I'm your host, Parker. We've got a great show coming up for you today. Uh, we've got some exciting guests, Baruch Lara, the founder of the Lara Lopez Foundation, the author of The Incredible True Story, an incredible person all around. He'll be on the show in just a bit. We'll have your news briefs, um, the weekly book review, and a lot of other great songs and great content, so you don't want to miss it. Um, have any comments, questions? Questions want to add to the show? Feel free to reach out to us via our Instagram at prime underscore time underscore OU or the same handle on Twitter, or feel free to email me at parker.primrose at ou.edu. We're excited to have you on. A great show coming your way. So sit back, enjoy these next few songs, and we'll be back in a few with your news briefs. Bruce, what a great way to start your Monday. Um, following that up, we've got today's news brief. Again, you're listening to Primetime with Parker Primrose on Studio OU, the voice of OU. Uh, looking at today's weather, we're on pace for a high of 75 and a low of 54. I'm wearing shorts this morning, and I'm rather comfortable, so you should do the same. Um, for this week, a low of 36 and a high of 75 with sunny skies. I think it's safe to say that spring is here. Um, in some global news, the Evergreen, the ship stuck in the Suez Canal, was just freed this morning. Um, during the time that it was stuck for this past week, lost about $10 billion worth in trade per day. Uh, but thankfully, it is on the move and the to- toilet paper can flow once again. Um, in other news, almost one-third of Americans have now been vaccinated, about 90 million people. Um, I personally got my vaccine on Friday, that Johnson & Johnson in the OU Armory, um, and today I'm feeling great. So if you haven't gotten vaccinated yet, um, great opportunity to do that. I know they're doing them at Goddard Health Center and other spots around the OKC area. So it's worth doing that, and we are fighting for a better future, and I'm doing all right after mine, so you should go get yours. In other news in the sports world at OU, men's basketball head coach Lon Kruger retired last Thursday. He coached the Sooners for 10 years, a part of a 35-year coaching career. Um, During his time at OU, he brought them to seven NCAA tournaments, two Sweet 16s, as well as the 2016 Final Four. In his career overall, he was the first coach to take five programs to the NCAA tournament and the only coach to win an NCAA tournament game with five different programs. So obviously, as a coach, he had an incredible career with a strong list of accomplishments. Um, But for me, the most exciting part of Lon Kruger is who he is as a person. Um, very involved with Coaches versus Cancer. It's where he invests a lot of his time and resources. He was the founder of the Coaches versus Can- Coaches versus Cancer golf tournament in Las Vegas. Um, raised over seven million dollars for the cause over his career. So an incredible man with um, really intent purpose and and trying to do something bigger than the game and on a personal level my freshman year I I worked for the OU Daily I got to go cover men's basketball and sit in on practices and and Lon Kruger is just a first-class professional getting to interact with him Um, you don't feel like you're talking to someone with a list of accomplishments like that you feel like you're talking to a friend and that's really a testament to who he is the way that he values others and seeks to make them feel um, valued and heard 
So, Lon Kruger, congratulations on a fantastic career. What a legacy you leave behind, not just as a coach, but as a person and as a leader. So, I know OU is better for having had Lon Kruger, and that can be same that same that can also be said for several other schools. So, thank you, Coach Kruger. That's a wrap for today's news brief. We'll be back at you very shortly with Baruch Lara, our guest interview today. So don't skip away. We've got one song coming up, and then Baruch should be on the show. So thanks again. You're listening to Primetime with Parker Primrose on Studio OU, the voice of OU. I fix my mic there. Baruch, can you hear me now? Yes, sir, I can. Oh, sweet. There we go. Well, hey, everyone. Joining us on the show this morning is Baruch Lara, the founder of the Lara Lopez Foundation, the author of my incredible true story, and an overall incredible leader and person. Super excited to have him on. Baruch, it's Monday. Uh, the Monday blues are real, but you seem to persevere. How are you this morning? I'm doing great, man. Uh, I woke up. And I can't complain, so I am doing great. How about you, my friend? Doing great. Uh, Excited to have you on and excited for you to get to to share some wisdom with all of our listeners. Uh, So we'll jump right into it, Brooke. So you are the founder of the Lara Lopez Foundation. Um, You guys do some incredible work. Can you dive into that for our listeners and kind of describe the purpose behind your foundation, both why you founded it and what you guys do today? Yeah, so um, that's a great question. yeah, so I started this foundation. Well, the, it started with just a pure scholarship, right? Um, my senior year of high school, um, I was the student council president at my high school, right? And, you know, we were able to do a lot of great things through through the whole year. But my, my whole understanding behind, you know, service was impact, right? Create legacy and impact. Because if you do something and there's no impact or legacy, there's no ripple effect. It's just, okay, it's like one shot wonder, right? One shot hit. And I wanted to create some type of ripple effect in my high school that would um, inspire uh, students. And um, I remember I went over to my parents and I sat down and I was like, hey, you know, um, we're, you know we're, we're, we're pretty good. We're, you know, we're well off, you know, with when it comes to finances and all of that. Um, you know, I thought about putting aside $1,000 and being able to give that to a student for a scholarship. And um, at first, my, my it was more my dad. My dad at first was like, eh, well, you know, I could just give that money to you, right? And and I made it clear to him, like, no, you know, because um, my, da- my dad, well, growing up, my dad was always a, a person who really challenged us. So, you know, sometimes I told him, said, um, you know, I'm, I'm, we're going to be fine, right? I'll be fine. I'll be well off. I'll figure it out. I know how to um, figure out my problems because I had two great parents that, that taught me how to do that. But there's a lot of students out in the world that don't have great parents like like I did, right? Or do. So um, at the end, I was able to commence him, and we put $1,000 aside, and we, you know, called it the Laura Lopez Scholarship and gave it out to a student. And, um, and it was, you know, it was a great thing. It was, uh, this, I still remember how, how it happened. I gave it, to, we, we, we surprised her at the, the awards assembly, scholarship awards assembly and um, I remember she was crying. She, the, the girl was coming over to. She was crying, and I thought I did something bad. I was like, "Whoa, did, that, did I do something wrong?" 
And she was like, no, no, no. She was all like, um, you know, how'd you know? And I said, and I was like, no, what? You know, I'm kind of, I'm still lost. And she was all like, how'd you know that? All I needed was a thousand dollars. So she had, she had fundraised and got all the scholarship money that she needed. And she was only missing a thousand dollars to complete an actual four year degree, uh, uh, amount. And, um, and I was like kind of blown away by it. I was like, whoa, I, like, I had no idea. You, you know, you were just the one that, uh, your, your application was the most impressive. Wow. And um, so moving forward, I, I love the whole idea behind that. And I thought, you know, one, one, um, one opportunity was great, but my whole, the whole idea behind it was, well, we could give more, right? We could do more. How would that look like, you know? And we kind of started breaking it down. I kind of started looking at the, um, and the the landscape of um, our problems that we're dealing in, and and at least our stay in our city here in Oklahoma City, and I saw that there was a lot of um, the, the 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 problem of inequality that we see and we're seeing. I thought that there were different solutions to how they were being proposed, and um, and what I was looking and you know and I was diving into these communities and I was speaking to families and students and you know teachers. You know, and I was just asking all these different questions, like, you know, what are your problems? What would have been different? Uh, you know, how, how would someone address these things? And, you know, I was just kind of breaking it apart. And, and the few things that I saw is, you know, to kind of get a, a student, especially a student in a low-income environment from point A to point B, um, there's, there's a couple of things you need to fill, you know, and, that, and that's support, that's development, and then that's a, an opportunity presented to them. So support can look like that in different ways, you know, the having a program of, of that that meets students needs if it comes from mentorship or anything like that right um you know development is is broken down to different parts as well you know personal development uh skills development right leadership development and then number three is presenting an opportunity most most of these kids don't have opportunities or don't know what an opportunity looks like so for us to be able to contextualize that and present it to them in a manner where they could receive it and and they could take advantage of it, um, you know that that was a part of the goal. So kind of moving forward with with when we started with scholarships was more so just filling gaps from kids who live in low income um, households, single parent households, right, in in high school, and filling those gaps. And hopefully, what we um, hope to do is be able to give them an opportunity for long term prosperity. So it's not just something smaller getting them to college it's more so of a 20-year goal with them to say hey in 20 years i want you to look at your life and say hey I w- i'm where i want to be and I'm, I'm i'm there because of the laura lopez foundation so you know that that's kind of uh you know how it started but the most the biggest reason of of my why behind starting this was to um um give students the opportunity to have um people like my like I had you know with my parents right and what they taught me you know so so my goal was to give that to students who don't have that and and be able to teach them things that my parents taught me hopefully that it it can lead to uh their long-term prosperity so yeah man in a nutshell that's kind of how it started you know the why behind it and what we're trying to do that's awesome so providing opportunity to lead to long-term growth and achievement that's really cool and Baruch, I know you touched on it a little bit, but I'd love to kind of hear more about what it's been like to see the impact that your foundation has made. I know you started with one scholarship this past year. You were able to give out a lot more than that. What's it like for you to see these 
these high schoolers whose lives you're able to dramatically impact through these scholarships? Well, the, the you know, Parker, um, when, you know, I, I was talking to a friend and they had asked me that not that long ago. And I said, you know, man, my favorite part about all of this is just connecting with people. Um, you know, once we usually give these scholarships, my goal is always to try to keep in contact with the recipients to see how I can provide further opportunity. And um, and being able to sit down with some of these people and just talking to them and and hearing their story, right? That that's just like one, that's my favorite part of it all, and being able to connect in that manner. And you know, and impact can be measured in different ways. Um, you know, when you see it, right? Some of these kids, you know, and I had a couple of my recipients say, you know, I, I was never thinking of going to college. I didn't think I was capable of it, right? And, um, and look, you know, now you've given me an opportunity um, to go to college. You know, now I feel like I'm capable of it. So that, that's, a, that, that's a part of an impact that, that we, we feel when we look at. Um, other impacts are more so of, you know, I didn't know how I was going to get through four years without financial aid. It was more of those type of impacts as well. So, you know, us just being able to see, um, us being able to provide another stepping block um, for these students is just like the, the greatest thing. And, um, and to me, be, to being able to see that and to be able to see growth coming from these students and, and then pursuing um, their life purpose and passion, you know, that, that to me is the greatest thing. And I think that that's the impact. You know, it's not necessarily that we're giving some type of financial security. The impact of, of what we're trying to do is giving them that sense of hope and ability to be able to look at their life and say, I could do it, I can make that. And, um, and, and to me, that's, that's the most beautiful thing ever. And I think I have much more of an honor to just being able to see that, right? And being able to um, experience that with them. Yeah, I love your mindset on that. And, and true, the, the idea behind the f- financial gift being a, a medium towards a goal, not the goal itself, right? Allowing them yeah. to use that as a tool towards achievement and opportunity, to not it being the thing in and of itself. And one of the things I want to touch on, I know obviously the, the scholarship is a huge component of your foundation, but you've also put on leadership conference, and I know you've done some personal development work as well. Can you talk about that a little bit and the work you've been able to do in that regard? Yeah, so we... we so we have so the the foundation has three programs right we we break it down in this manner so um you know kind of pillar number one is scholarship so with our scholarship at least this year we're doing a joint program with that so our recipients will get a a you know the past few years we just do one-year scholarships right this year we're doing a scholarship where it's for four years straight our fund is 30000 and we're breaking that down uh, in three halves, right? So 10K for each student, and there'll be three students. And then with that um, scholarship, they'll be paired up with a mentor, much more of a professional mentor. And I think, I, you know, and, I, and I've spoken to you about um, the mentors I have in my life and how they've been able to bridge some gaps for me and allow me to, to do the things that I, I was hoping to do here in the next, like, five years, ten years now. So I kind of want to provide that same thing to these students. So it would be a joint program with the mentorship program that will run different types of workshops with these students um, uh, every other month, right? And, and that will just be to curate um, relationship, human capital, and then, you know, an opportunity. Um, part two, so the, the second pillar is leadership development. So we're working on a conference at the end of the year that focuses more on this personal development 
aspect of um, of life. And I think everybody in life is called to be a leader. Now, the type of leader, that, that's up to them to, to decide what type of leader they'll be. But everybody in this life is called to be a leader. And, um, and for us, is to kind of nurture that and, fe- and allow these students to figure that out for themselves and, and, um, and provide them with a sense of direction. And this, this whole leadership um, conference is based on different aspects and topics of personal development. Um, our goal is to turn it into a six-month program um, that goes through a whole school year. And it will be about, uh, you know, through the, the, the six-month program, it will be a different workshop provided by a different community leader on a different aspect of leadership that will affect their long-term goal within that program. And it will be for, at the end of the year, they'll have an impact project that they're going to have to um, execute. So every um, part of those programming um, sessions will contribute to the development of their impact project. And then um, number three is a much more personal um, leadership, a much more personal mentorship program. It's more early outreach, so it's like super early. We'll we'll get them when they're high school freshmen, these students, and our goal is to development within different type of level skills. So we have level one, two, and three, which level one is more so just about common etiquette, you know, how to shake a hand, how to project yourself, you know, how to look proper when it comes to job interviews and, and those type of things, how to network with people and curating that um, people plan right. Um, level two is geared much more to job efficiency, how to, how to apply for a job, you know, how to get a job, how to keep a job, you know, how to make the best out of that job. And then level three, it's more cognitive skills, so critical thinking and um, a little bit more geared to development of, of skill areas. And after they get through those three levels, our goal is then to um, funnel them through either to a, an entrepreneurship program that we have a partnership with Bloodworks or, you know, we have another kind of program we're trying to figure out. And, um, you know, to kind of give you guys a gist of that, it is a kind of VC, so a venture capital mentor investment program to where um, what we'll do is we'll get our, our group of, you know, five to 10 students and we'll create kind of a cohort with angel investors within the community or, um, you, know, you know, venture capital um, companies and what we'll do is we'll pair student with mentor, right? And um, we'll run through workshop classes on investment. So, you know, how, how does investment look like? What are the best companies to invest in? You know, how much, you know, what is equity uh, in a company? You know, what is passive income and, and all of these things. And um, at the end, our goal is to bring in a list of companies that the investor, angel investor and the, the mentee will look at and then together we'll decide what would be the best investment to put in and our goal is to ask the the vc or the angel um, investor to give up a small percentage of equity to that student um and that equity that the money that they get from that that equity goes into a college fund that'll accumulate over time right um but our goal is to teach students about passive income about investing you know how to create long-term wealth um in that area so that that you know they'll, they'll be able to take two routes there or a straight boot camp uh, entrepreneurship accelerator that loveworks has already that is amazing you know they, they have kids in like middle school and elementary that are already starting businesses right they have like salsa business they have a augmented reality business so this is just something that they want to continue and so we have a partnership for me to funnel in kids through the city 
through that program. So those are the, you know the other two components of our our, our programs, and and you know what we're trying to do is just fill in gaps of skills. Um, you know, living living in a free market society as the one that United States has, you know, success in those areas are are circled around skill sets and value and how to build value in other people's lives. If you have a strong skill set, an idea, I think you curate that into value proposition. Um, people will pay for it. People will ask for it or, or you'll be um, someone who will create value in community. So for us, it's, you know, allowing them to understand what um, market they're in and how to make the best of it and then just presenting different uh, opportunities for them to make the best of it. Yeah. Wow. Baruch, again, I just love the heart behind the organization, this idea of coming alongside these students and helping them to unlock their potential, um, not just kind of patting them on the back, giving them a gift and letting them go, but truly standing in next to them, um, walking with them and equipping them with these resources and these mentors so that they can really maximize their own potential. That's really cool. And Baruch, I want to emphasize for our listeners, I failed to say it earlier, but you are a student at the University of Oklahoma. You are a junior just like me. And so you're doing all of this work on top of being a student, being a full-time student. Uh, how do you manage all that? <laughs> uh, truth is, I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, <laughs> um, it's not easy, I'll tell you that. Um, it's... it's um, you know, it's a, it's a balance. It's trying to figure out that balance, honestly. Um, you know, I kind of get stuck up on, sometimes on some of these things. That it can be hard. It can be really difficult. Um, you know, for certain, I've had mentors kind of hammer me and saying, you know, you have to make sure you're, you're making it to class and you're paying attention. And, you know, and, I, and of course, I do all those things now. Um, yeah, before it wasn't necessarily like that. Um, but it, like I said, it's, it's, um, it's a balance to trying to figure out um when to put in the time and when to like leave, you know move away from it and and focus on on academics and you know in life parker and i think you know you being someone who's very uh, motivated and very busy um i think you also agree and, and know that in life the, the life is, is a life is a point of trade-offs right so there's a lot of trade-offs that you have to make and what i mean by that is if you want to do something there's going to be something in return you're going to have to trade for or sacrifice right so, you know, um, I'm able to do these things because there's a lot of things that I'm sacrificing that, you know, it might not be a weekend. I might not be able to have a, uh, you know, a relaxed weekend. I, you know, my weekends might be consistent of work and, and studying, right? Or, you know, there's certain things in my day that I can't do just because they're consistent on pure focus on whatever it is that I'm doing. So life, and that's what life is um, really that, you know, that's reality to a sense. It's, it's trade-offs, being able to, you know, pursue something, but there's going to be something of value that you're going to have to sacrifice. And, uh, you know, and I, early on, I was able to figure that out. And then I was able to kind of say, okay, what are the things that I'm capable of sacrificing and um, and being able to be satisfied with the things that I'm doing? So, um, like I said, it is a challenge. It's hard. Um, and you know me, I'm not the biggest guy that likes to sit in a room and just listen to someone talk. Um, I'm much more of a doer. And um, so it is a challenge, but uh, you know, I, I always welcome that challenge. Um, so I hope that answers the question. 
Yeah, and you talk a lot about sacrifice, and one of the things that you haven't sacrificed, which I think is, is a positive reflection, something that we can all learn from, is the way that you intentionally invest in people and, and seek to be invested in, right? I know your mentors are very important to you. I think a lot of times people throw around the word mentor and be like, oh, you should have a mentor, that's important. Um, and a lot of people kind of just let that slip by and just say, oh, I have older people in my life who give me advice. Uh, but obviously to you, a mentor takes on a lot deeper meaning. Can you explain the importance that mentorship has had on you and in your life? Yeah, man, um, that's, a, that's a great question and point, Parker, um, and especially you who, who knows me pretty well. Every time we, we, we talk, it's like, you know, yeah, one of my mentors said this, right? So, um, you know, life, life, and it's interesting. This is dependent on how people see this. You know, um, life is, is, you know, and I was reading a book, uh, you know, during the weekend, you know, or this is kind of the book I'm on. And uh, uh, um, Dr. Thomas Sowell wrote it, and it's called The Conflict of Visions. And he proposes that there's these two, you know, there's a set of different visions, right? But they line under two categories. Category one is the un- the constraint and then the unconstraint. And um, when it comes to mentors, I view it as a constraint vision. And what that means is that, you know, with the constraint vision, there is this point that human nature is flawed, right? That that um, humans aren't meant to be perfect due to the the idea of that, that we're not perfect and we can make mistakes, right? And... Um, and, and the manner and the way where I'm going to kind of connect this into mentorship is that the basis of the uh, the constraint vision is that progression happens by learning from our past mistakes, right? Um, so the importance to me for a mentor is the ability to learn from their past mistakes. So there's people that's already been through a lot of the things that we're going through, and the most and best way to, you know, make time efficient is to look for those people and to ask him these questions to say, hey, how did you manage, you know, starting a company and being in college, right? You know, what were the, the early struggles that you went through when you start, or you were in your startup phase, right, of, of business? Um, you know, all these different questions. And, you know, they're able to answer them, and then you're able to measure them and, and, and see if they're part of that trajectory in your, in your road, in your journey. And, um, and if you are... You're able to now then to, to um, avert them, right? You're able to then adjust, you know, pivot, and then you're able to get further along. And I think it was one of my mentors. Yeah, it was a Renzi. Renzi Stone was, was one of my my mentors, and he sits on my board of my foundation. And um, I remember he invited me over for dinner, and we were sitting with his kids, and we were just, you know, it was an interesting thing because he brought his kids over and he, he looked at his kids. And said, I want you guys to sit down. I want you guys to tell, you know, Brooke about your story, you know, who you are, what you're about, um, you know, tell them about your gelato business and all of that. And then um, then you're going to hear his story, and then I want you to ask questions, right? And um, and, and um, Renzi made the point to, to his kids saying, you know, uh, where I'm at today, Brooke's going to be at in, in about 10 years, he says because he's taking advantage of the experience that I had, his parents had, and all of his other mentors have. He's, uh, and he looks at his kids, he says, now my goal to you, my challenge to you, is, is to be able to get to um, where Brooke can be at 10 years at his age now. And he's, tw- and, you know, and I'm 22, and his kids are like 12 and 13. Um, so, so, but the basis of it, the, the point he was trying to make is, you know, now you have someone here that is older than you, that has been through what you're going through, 
ask them the questions, those valuable questions, and try to avert some of these obstacles and uh, and get ahead of yourself. And I think Parker, that's that's what mentorship is. And I think that's you know kind of life's progression. I mean, depending on people believe life started it was through God or human evolution or whatever. You know, we started off as people who wore cloths to cover our 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 body parts, right? You know, we we walk, then we use horses, then we use um, um, different types of uh, maneuvers of trans- transportation. Now we're using cars, trains, and planes, right? So it's just a, a progression of life, and that happens when people look at things that have already been done, break them down, and then redo them again with the experience and knowledge that they have, and, and that's progression. That's life progression, and that's the importance of mentorship. That's, that's the, the one of the sole purposes Aside of creating relationships that build value personally in each other's lives, it's all about learning from from that mentor. You know, learning from asking them the questions. You know, being able to examine their life and then being able to do the same for yours. Being self-aware of these things, and you know, I always challenge people to the reach out. Right? You know, I think some people are just afraid of denial and and they get a little bit scared. And you know, they are. Oh, I'm afraid someone's going to say no to me. And and, you know, people ask me, I think, you know, what if, what if someone doesn't want to meet with you? I say, well, then I go on to the next person. You know, someone, there's 7 billion people in this world. Someone's going to want to meet with me. Um, and, and it's turned out that there's a lot of people, right? But it's it's the basis of learning. Um, that And that's what mentorship is all about. I think if um, students, in, especially younger people, are more open to finding these people and, and, you know, putting in the work to create these relationships, their lives would be so much more ahead and and at least more in the professional sense of it you know the that 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 purposeful sense of work and and creating things it'd be much they'd be much more far ahead and you know the the basis of mentorship aligns with the basis of life and and that is to learn from others and, and progress in that manner yeah I mean you make a great point there's so much so many people out there who have have lived so much farther than you and I and, and experienced these things it's we are foolish to not you know ask for help and, and learn from them and be able to use their experiences to further our own and I think I think a big part of what mentorship is that you've role modeled really well is it's not just you know one phone call with a professional and asking them for advice right like that's helpful but a mentor is someone who truly knows you in your heart and can speak into you and I think you have surrounded yourself with mentors who know who Baruch is right and encourage you and hold you accountable and push you to be the best version of yourself and I think that's what's powerful about mentorship when it's someone you can learn from and then they are also willing to push you right they're not afraid to just they're not afraid to not just give advice but to, to push you to follow it right and to push you to grow which is cool and I think it's something that you've role modeled really well no yeah I think it's uh it's, it's, it's definitely in the uh, you know you kind of hit it home and it's always been you know um and I'll tell you a little story I remember when when um when I first started my board, right, of, of directors for my foundation, um, I brought in a set of, of, of people that I've already, they, they proposed they wanted to be mentors for me. They were like, you know, Brooke, we, we, we want to kind of just pour into you. And, you know, it was Renza and a couple of his buddies and, and, and YPO, the Young Presidents Organization, that are, um, you know, really well successful in the things that they do. One was an angel investor and the other one is a banker. He started his own bank and, you know, Renza, of course, runs a PR company, a really big one. And then Jessica, who um, is a senior consultant giant, and she's just, you know, her, you know, she's hardcore. But um, 
you know, and, and it was funny because we were having our first board meetings and, and you know, this, this it was kind of transitioning from a much more personal relationship to then a much more professional one. So early on, we were all trying to still figure out kind of how, how are we going to make the best of this, right? And I remember I was just having a lot of trouble, you know, trying to get the most of it because it seemed like they were still treating me as Brooke the mentee and not necessarily yet Brooke the executive director. And, um, and like, so this is kind of where the, that point they were trying to make that they challenge you, right? And, and vice versa, you challenge them. Um, I think it was like our third meeting. And this was after I reached out to a couple of other mentors that run uh, nonprofits and they were able to start it. And I asked them, you know, how do you get the best of them? How is it that you get them to treat you with at least some level of respect? And, and you know, all of these people that I have on my board, they're all older and they have kids. And, um, and I'm sitting there, it's like, I feel like they see me as their kid, right? And, um, and my big thing to them, you know, they all told me, like, you know, Brooke, you have to call upon this challenge. You have to set it straight that you're not there to be, you know, kind of babied or nurtured. Uh, more so, you're, you're there to grow and, 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 and growth only comes with challenge. And, you know, the, the next, you know, we're talking about the basis of rebranding and, and namesake, right? And, all, and I asked him, like, what do you guys think? Do you guys think that'd be a you know, great way of moving forward with this brand and what we're trying to build? And all of my board members are like, you know, Brooke, you know, we, we want to do what you want to do, right? And I was sitting there and, um, and you know, and I, I, I uh, appreciated that they were there for me, right? And, and, but I, I remember I, after they said that, I was able to, like, you know, I looked at them and said, guys, you know, if you guys were just going to be here, to do all the things that I wanted to do, I wouldn't have asked you to be on the, the board, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, board is more for helping governing. And, um, and you know, and I expect you guys to challenge me and to look at things in different perspectives instead of just saying, hey, bro, we're all in what you want to do, right? And um, and I told them, I said, like, you know, um, I'm here to learn and I'm here to be challenged, you know? And I think this, this foundation can only progress if I'm being challenged. And, you know, they kind of just affirmed it to me. And I told them, I said, guys, if you think I have a stupid plan, like, tell me it's a dumb plan. Like, tell me, be forward with it. I, I don't care how you say it, right? All I, you know, all I ask is for you guys to be clear and truthful to me. And, um, and, and you know, don't hold anything back. And, and I looked at them and it was funny because they're all sort of laughing. I said, there's nothing that I haven't heard that is bad than, than um, you know, because I've heard it from my dad. You know, my dad, one of his ways he challenged us is kind of just like, you know, try to put it down, but um, in the manner, and, you know, that was for him, it was, that was the way he was, was taught growing up, was you know, just like giving them crap, right? Try, try to put them down, and, and, you know, my dad kind of saw that, well, you know, I clearly see that my son's being motivated by it, right? So I, I told him, I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I learned best when I get challenged and critiqued and I come back with something new. And, you know, at the end, they kind of understood that. They're like, okay, you know, they get the most out of this guy, this kid. We're just going to have to challenge him. And every time we meet, they're always putting something of the challenge forward. And um, and the intentionality behind that, it, it, that's, how, that's how you become personal with someone, Parker. And I think, you know, we're, we're able to see that with all of our relationships. And the things that we do is, you know, once we overcome challenge together, that, that relationship becomes much more personal. And, um, and you know, curating that and building that is, is, is very important. And I think that's, you know, one of the many um, purposes of life is to create some of these relationships and, and to be challenged together and to move forward together in that manner. 
Yeah, man, Brooke, you're dropping wisdom this morning. And and speaking of that, obviously you've got a, lived, a lot of lived experience and, and wise counsel that you've received, and uh, you were generous to get, generous enough to give some of that in your book that you wrote. And I was lucky enough to get to edit it. But um, the incredible true story, your book that you published last year. Uh, can you dive into a little bit what led you to want to write a book, and uh, what was that process like? Um. Yeah, man, uh, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, to give you a bit of a, a, of a glimpse of why I wrote that story, there is a lot of um, learned experience in that book. And, and, you know, for our listeners, give a quick gist of the incredible true story. The, the book is about my travels growing up. So there's been, a, like how uh, Parker said, there's been a lot of lived experience there. I remember one of my, one of my board members on the first time I met him, um, I was I was 20 years old and and I met him and we were talking and you know he looked at me and said man you know with with the just the experience that your parents gave you um, you know it seems like you have you know you, your experience up to 20 years is kind of of a person that um, has lived for over 40 and he was comparing himself to me and he was saying because I'm 40 years old and I have yet to do all almost all the things that you just told me you did. And he said, um, so, you know, your lived experience is like a 40-year-old, right? And I was like, well, I don't know about that. But, uh, uh, yeah, the basis behind the, the story was my travels, you know, Parker. Um, you know, you've been able to read it and, and, and edit it and kind of knowing me. You know, before I was 20 years old, I went to 20 different countries, th- th- uh, 20 different countries, three different times. And, you know, they weren't um, countries necessarily here in our, hem- uh, in our, in our North America um, you know, setting, they were all overseas in Europe. And um, through these trips, there was a lot of life lessons I learned, more universal purposes, right? Um, and that was my dad's goal was to push us in that manner and, and be able to see that. And um, and being able to do all those things, being able to grab all those experiences, I was able to then, you know, look back, reflect on them, right? And then um, sat back and, I, you know, I was said, you know, how? what would be the best way for me to tell these lessons, right? How, where, and um, the, a book was what was that came forward, right? The, that, that idea, and I started writing that book in, um, in high school, and I'll tell you a small story behind this and, and kind of how this started. Um, junior year of high school, uh, and you know me, Parker, I'm a talker. I like to talk, and I'm just, like, really loud. And um, <laughs> Junior year of high school, uh, I was in English class, and every time in English class, I would just, it'd be just different times within that hour that I'd just, like, start yelling, right? And I'd be like, you know, hey, you guys want to hear the story of, and then I would tell them a story. And um, and my teacher was looking at me, and, you know, she was one of my favorite teachers, but she would look, she said, you know, Brooke, you're, you're really distracting every single time you do this. And, um, and I was telling her, like, well, I think, you know, we're all kind of bored in here. Let's kind of like, you know, <laughs> pick up the, the, the environment with a really cool story. And I started telling the story about uh, when I was in Egypt and I um, sold my, tried to sell my sister for camels. And um, yeah, that's, that's a whole other <laughs> story there. But um, they were, they, they didn't believe me. They were like, nah, there's no way, right? There was like, there, there's no way, you know, first of all, you did not go to Egypt. There's no way, you, you know, second of all, there's no way you try to sell your sister for camels. And I just, kept telling these stories and um and they were all a lot of people thought they were fake they were like nah there's, there's no right and um my teacher looked at me and she said hey 
if you write them down, um, I'll read your story. So if you write them down, you just put them on paper, I'll read your story. And, um, and I said, really? So yeah. And, you know, thinking about that, I was like, you know, that's not actually, that's not a bad idea. And, um, so I kind of put, you know, this manuscript together through high school and, you know, through a couple of years of college and, um, Man, Parker, I tell you that the manuscript you edited—that was like the fifth one that I that I wrote. I wrote that book like four different times, um, so and I still trying to figure out what was going to be the best way to tell the story, right? And that manuscript you were able to edit that first one around was like my my fifth manuscript that, that I read, and um and that was probably the one that I liked the most out of all the, the ones I wrote. But um, you know, the basis of of that theme and why I wrote it was to emphasize universal values human values um i think people get caught up of of you know certain values being because of uh cultural backgrounds right and and um ethnic backgrounds and you know there was just a lot of lessons that i saw that were still applied in these different cultural backgrounds and you know i was in egypt israel you know i was all over europe man turkey right i was all over these areas and you know a lot of these come from different um a cultural backgrounds, but there was a lot of the same universal values, you know, the value of giving, the, va- the value of hospitality, the value of community, right, the value of family, you know, these were all emphasis, the value of giving, and, and these were all emphasis in life that um, that I think that it's rooted in, in the human uh, body and the human soul, these values. And, um, and I think that we get lost, especially in America where we live in a much more consumed um uh environment right of social media of, of technology of consumption in those areas right sometimes we get lost in 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 those things that we forget our our enrooted human universal values and um and you know being able to um see that all across the world it just said you know i think that's just something i need to push and remind and and more more so remind to an audience of a younger generation right high school students college students to say hey you know if we don't get our act together you know there's a good chance that um something bad could happen in the next few years and it won't be due to natural um ca- catastrophe it'll be because our decisions and and actions led us to that point and um and so i challenge my re- my readers in that book uh to self-reflect on their lives and their experiences and to take up a bigger responsibility much more than their personal one and 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 run with that right and and take that responsibility because um parker um you know i don't know if you ever heard me say this but this is just something i believe with freedom is nothing without responsibility i think our human liberties that we have it is nothing without responsibility um you know i i I tell people this all the time freedom isn't a license to do whatever it is that you want or you're capable of doing freedom is a as a license uh, a license of being able to take responsibility for it and to give something much more, but to choose to give something much more. And the key word there is choice. And that's what makes freedom um, um, uh, uh, a responsibility that it cannot go unnoticed. And it's choice. And, and you make the choice of being able to give something much more of, of, of life and service, right, to others. And, um, and that's my challenge to my reader is, is to grab your life look at it and and to take responsibility for that freedom and and to do it for others right you know um and and that's i think what's enrooted in humans in humans in general it doesn't matter where you're from or where you're born that that point is is 
truth in all of life. And, um, and, you know, that was one of the biggest reasons why I wrote the book and, you know, why I decided to take that forward in the manner of a manuscript and, and being able to publish it. Well, if that doesn't get someone fired up to read your book, I don't know what will, Baruch. That was awesome. Cool hearing the heart behind sharing your stories and, and the intention and helping other people recognize their potential and how to, to utilize the gifts they've been given and the, the freedoms that they have. And also just cool reading about your camel adventures, right? Uh, and the way that you can add depth to those and, and bring insight to life. Um, what was it like for you to see a, a book published and printed with your name on it? Uh, man, it's it's uh, it's still a surreal feeling. Um, I you know every I look at it every time, and I I'm I'm just kind of feeling like wow, I can't believe I like this is something, right? And it's definitely the first of the Lara um, family. Um, you know, we we don't we we don't have any literature. Um, I don't have anybody in my family that's ever wrote and published, so it's definitely the first of my family. And um, and it, and I think um, what made it much more meaningful was uh, a couple things. Number one. Um, how much my dad took pride in it. Um, he, you know, it's funny because a lot of his, his friends would come over and they start bragging about their kids and stuff like that. And my dad would be like, you know, has, has your kid written a book? And, <laughs> and I said that and I started laughing. I said, Dad, why do you have to do it like that? Why do you have to say it like that? I would do it like that, right? Um, but um, he would always kind of propose it in those manners. Like, hey, has your son written? But um, he, he took so much pride into it. And I remember he... He was very worried about me and my siblings. Um, you know, he, I remember he would always say this. He said, he'd look at my mom and say, you know, I'm just scared that these trips didn't do anything for our kids, right? That they, they felt that they were just privileged enough to go. And, and that was, you know, to them, the center fold of these trips. And, um, and with writing a book, um, I remember when I wrote it and I had my dad's copy and I gave it to him. I said, you know, this is just one of the many um uh purposes of the of your trips and you know this is just me letting you know that your trips did mean something to me and that they did work right and they did wake me up right and and you know and he he um, my mom my dad says it wasn't that good but my mom tells me my mom says you know he sits there and he he um and he reads it you know and he's read it through a couple times already but he says he sits there you know when, when i'm not around and he reads it he, my mom says he, he tells me he loves it um, so, um, that one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons why, you know, it's been so surreal and, you know, my dad just kind of seeing my dad and, um, and his joy of seeing that, um, kind of makes it all just so much more beautiful, but also, you know, like I said, it, it's, it's something that all my family members, so my grandma, you know, my cousins, my aunts, they all took pride in as well. They were just saying, like, you know, our cousin wrote a book. Wow. You know, that's just amazing. And. Um, so I was able to get a lot of great um, uh, support from them as well. And that's, that's what m- makes it mean so much more is that all those people in your life um, are, are proud about it. And, you know, like I said, it's just it's still uh, a surreal thing to look at and say, wow, you know, I wrote a book, you know. And <laughs> I, I, and, it, and it's funny because I was telling a friend, I was like, you know, every now and then I get a person saying, hey, you know, I got your book, look, right? And, you know, and I kind of wave it off and, and I remember she was telling me, she's like, you know, that's not normal. You know, just to let you know, that is not a normal thing. And I said, yeah, well, I was like, it kind of is, isn't it? And, it? and they're like, no, that is not a normal thing. No one just whips up your book and says, hey, I'm reading your book, right? Or can you sign it? So that is not a normal thing. And I said, I was like, well, it's, it's becoming much more normal to me. But um, it's, it's definitely a, a blessing, Parker. And, I, and I'm very fortunate 
to have had had those experiences and was and had the opportunity and was capable of putting something out there like that. Yeah, well, it's, it's definitely pretty cool, and it's got some pretty cool stories, right? So, folks, the incredible true story, you can snag it on Amazon um, by Baruch Lara, an incredible piece. And, Baruch, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you got a lot going on, so I've got one last question for you, and then uh, I'll let you go. But one of the questions we've been trying to answer on my show is, what does it mean to be a leader? And you're someone who is a leader, has worked with a lot of leaders, so I'd love to hear your take on that. So, Baruch, what does it mean to be a leader? <laughs> Um, wow, that's a, that's a great question, um, Parker, um, let me, let me kind of digest that a little bit. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, um, so, um, our, so when we were, um, transitioning from our freshman year of college to our sophomore year of college, right, and you guys went to Italy, and unfortunately I couldn't go. Uh, my sister was getting married at that time, but something that I was also pursuing at that time was this project, this, which is, you know, kind of a, give you all the, um, you know, you, you're hearing it first, giving you all a glimpse of my next manuscript. Um, I kind of um, set out to interview um, successful people, right? So successful business uh, men and women, entrepreneurs, professionals, leaders in the community, right? And I had a list of 18 questions, and that was one of the questions I asked was, what does it mean to be a leader? What is leadership to you, right? And one sentence, or that, that's kind of the, and one sentence in that show, how would you put leadership, you know, how would you propose that? And um, and I got really interesting questions, I mean, really interesting answers, you know, and I was looking at some of them, you know, not that long ago, and I was, you know, sitting there, I was like, well, those, you know, those are all interesting, but um, to me, Parker, you know, and this is just me, uh, leadership, is um, like I said, this is just me. This is not everybody, and, and, I, um, and I hope people disagree with that too, because you know I might that. Um, but to me, leadership is is when a human takes um, a choice of liberty, of, of of responsibility to love and to serve, and um, and I think, in a nutshell, that may look like anything and everything. Right, so a lot of people do this differently, and I think you you're able to kind of see that with the different people you've had on and and you, the people you met, that everybody's leadership journey is different, right? Mine's nonprofit work. You know, a couple of weeks ago you had um uh uh, uh state representative uh, Daniel Pay is his um uh, and through that right uh community community engagement leadership, right? You know, you have George Stoya on who who's a um, journalist, so his view on it is different. But I think everybody has the same common theme in, in pursuing that, right, it, that, that calling. And it is free, to freely choose to be responsible for something greater, and that is to love and to serve. So how you, you love others, right, how you, you take that in, and then how you serve others, too, and what manners do you serve people, right? Uh, um, a quote that I live by is, um, it doesn't matter what you do in life, but what matters is how you do it, right? Everybody likes the how. Everyone wants to hear the how process to it, and um, and I think that that's the most important key and element to leadership, and that is to to take up a responsibility of your choice to take up this responsibility that is much greater than yourself, and to love and to serve others. That is what a leader is, and I and I, and I can tell you that with 100% certainty that all the leaders that I've ever met and and I've ever worked with and and you know and I'm pretty positive that I'm going to continue to work with. 
that is the centerfold of the purpose is, you know, hey, Brooke, I'm here for something much greater. I'm here not for myself, but for others. I'm here to give to others. I'm here to love others, you know, and I'm here to pull all of that out and, and, and pour it into to them and to their community. Um, I think our, our, you know, one of our great friends, um, Aubrey, Aubrey Scott, when I met her freshman year, um, you know, she kind of embodied that in a sense. And, um, and I remember I asked her, I was like, you know, you're just like really a bubbly person in a good way, right? And, uh, you know, you, you, you're kind of radiant with your good vibes. Um, and I said, like, you know, how, how is it that you're always in this mood, right? Because it's, sometimes it's, like, hard. I said, there's, uh, you know, and I'm pretty sure you, you get it too, man, when you're, like, super busy. Sometimes you just kind of like, get irritated a bit, right? And, mm-hmm. I, and I asked her, like, how can you keep that sense of, of joy and, and engagement into other people's lives? And, and, you know, the way she does it is through a lot of service and love and, and attention. And she says, you know, Brooke, you know, keep in mind that you just never know what other people are going through. Maybe all they need is just a nice smile, right? And, and a, how are you doing, right? And, and, you know, maybe that's all that they need and they're looking forward to. And, um, and it just kind of gave me a little bit of, uh, of, of reflection, right? And, you know, and I think once I was able to kind of put that forward and together, I made the, the, the choice of saying, you know, maybe what people just need is service and love, right? Maybe that's what they're looking for, someone to serve them and someone to love them at the best of their ability and through a way that, is, that leads them the truth. And I think that that's what everybody's looking for. And I think um, a leader and what leadership is, is for you to pick up that choice of doing that freely, um, you know, by your own will and, and to love and to serve other people. So um, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, to, to lead is to, to love and to serve. I can totally get with that. So, Baruch, I have learned a ton over the course of this interview. I know I can say the same for our listeners. Thanks for being generous with your time in the midst of everything that you have going on. This was super fruitful, and we're super grateful that we got to have you on. So, thanks so much for joining the show. No problem, my friend. Um, it's always a pleasure being with you, Parker. You already know that, um, and I appreciate you for having me on, and, and I'm hoping that... Uh, all of our listeners learn something. Um, so I appreciate that. I appreciate you and your time as well. Awesome. Baruch Lara, everybody. The man, the myth, the legend. Uh, an honor to have him on the show. And again, you can check out his book, The Incredible True Story. It's on Amazon. Feel free to look up the Lara Lopez Foundation and see how you can support the mission. And you can follow Baruch on social media to keep up with all his adventures. We're going to turn back to some jams, but we'll be back later with today's book in review. Thanks for listening. This is Primetime with Parker Primrose on Studio U Radio, the voice of OU. Shout out to the police and to my mother for introducing me to quality music. Uh, we're back with today's book review. Again, you're listening to Primetime with Parker Primrose on Studio U Radio, the voice of OU. I'm your host, Parker Primrose. And uh, today's book we're talking about is The Power of Habit by Charles Durick. Um, so this is a book that uh, <laughs> taught me a lot about my brain and also how to get a better grasp on on doing life and making decisions and building positive habits. So hopefully, uh, one, I can encourage you to read the book, but two, I can give you some cliff notes that you can apply today. So on that, 
Um, so starting off, uh, one of the, the big things the book starts with is there's this paper that was published by Duke University researcher that found that more than 40% of the actions people perform each day weren't actual decisions, but habits, right? Um, let's break that down. So more than 40% of the decisions people make in a day um, weren't actually decisions, but habits, right? 40% of actions. So what that means is a lot of the things that we're doing throughout a day are just an automated response that we're really not cognitively deciding, uh, which means we want to ensure that our our habits are things that we'd be proud of just doing automatically. And, and it makes you really want to be more intentional with that. So what does it look like to be more intentional with those habits? Um, and so, again, going back to this idea about how our brain will default to the habits, um, a quote in the book says, when a habit emerges, the brain stops fully participating in decision-making. It stops working so hard or diverts focus to other tasks. So unless you deliberately fight a habit, unless you find a new routine, the pattern will unfold automatically. So the habits that we've built are going to occur unless we consciously choose to fight them. And I think the word fight is important there in the context of the book. You don't just casually break habits. You have to legitimately fight and because you're going against your cognitive processes and the built-in patterns that you've built. Um, built-in patterns that you built. I'll work on my linguistics. But uh, this idea, right, if we're, we've trained ourselves to think, oh, you know, every day when I get up, the first thing I do is stare at my phone. That's a, a built-in habit that you have to break. Or alternatively, if you treat every time you get home from work as a time to eat a, a vat of ice cream, your brain is trained for that response. And it's really hard to break out of that. And you could take this habit idea to a lot of things on a larger scale or smaller scale, but that idea remains. Um, and the way our brain is wired is we have the cue. Um, which leads us to the action, which then receives the reward, right? So going back to my ice cream comparison, the cue is getting home from work, the action is eating ice cream, and the reward is the the good feeling that ice cream gives us. Um, So within that, right, our brain is built around these cue and rewards with the action in between, but it's really the cue and rewards that are driving the process. And so what becomes powerful is when we can recognize the cue, we can recognize the reward, but we can change the action. Um, So maybe you change the action to the cue. When you get home from work, yeah, you do something, you go for a run, and then the reward is the ice cream, right? Instead of sitting on the couch, like you can sub it in, you've got the same cue, you've got the same reward, but a different action. So you're building within the habit, but you're rewiring it. Um, So you're taking control of your own um, brain processes in order to maximize the habits in play, right? Because again, over 40% of the actions we take throughout the day aren't actual decisions, but just habits that are patterns that are reflecting through the decisions that we make. And so encouragement would be identifying the habits that exist in our life, some of them that we're aware of, some that we're not. And one of the habits that I struggle through is I love to hit the snooze button in the morning. Um, It is truly the battle of my lifetime to not hit the snooze button. And uh, so for me, fighting that habit, because it's a habit at this point, it's not just about how much sleep I've gotten. To fight that habit, I need to change my cue and reward. So my cue for hitting the snooze, I hear the alarm. Um, My reward for hitting snooze is getting back in bed. Um, So for me, how do I rewire that? The reward truly is just getting to rest. Um, So the way I've tried to hack that, so my cue is my alarm, but now my reward is I get to go sit 
um, with a blanket on um, in my living room, right? So I'm still relaxing, but I've made it out of bed. I'm not hitting the snooze button anymore. I'm breaking that habit, but my body's still getting the same cue and this reward, cue of my alarm, reward of rest. So as we evaluate our habits, recognizing that those are in there pretty tight, these cue and rewards, but we can sub in the action in between. And that can be challenging, right? It's not something that, you know, in a day you can just fix and rewire. But on that, there's another quote in the book. It talks about how when people join groups where change seems possible, the potential for that change to occur becomes more real. For most people who overhaul their lives, there are no seminal moments or life-altering disasters. There are simply communities, sometimes of just one other person who makes change believable. So when we evaluate our habits, whether it's you know as simple as, as me trying to hit my alarm clock um, or maybe something deeper, a deeper struggle or pattern within your life, right? This idea of, one, recognizing the habit, recognizing the patterns, trying to adjust them, and then two, trying to do it in community. Um, Walking through life with people, which is a theme, something I love to talk about, right? We're called to do life together, to experience life together. There's so much more fullness in that. And so with habits too, right? It talks about how when people join groups where change seems possible, the potential for that change to occur becomes more real. When we can do life with other people and see the impact that it's happening, it encourages us in our own walk and we can speak into other people, which is awesome. Um, in on that, looking at ourselves and what it means to evaluate our habits, there is a University of, Pen- University of Pennsylvania researcher said that highly self-disciplined adolescents outperformed their more impulsive peers on every academic performance variable. Self-discipline predicted academic performance more robustly than did IQ. Self-discipline also predicted which students would improve their grades over the course of the school year, whereas IQ did not. Self-discipline has a bigger effect on academic performance than does intellectual talent. So this idea that if we can execute self-discipline on our habits, regulating the patterns that play within our brain, we are so much more effective human beings, right? If we can seize that 40% of actions that are just patterns that are kind of aimless decisions and really seize them and be intentional with the habits that we have, man, that really unlocks a lot of potential and allows us to be a better version of ourselves, which is exciting. And from a faith perspective, right, Rick Warren says this, and this is quoted within the book, the only way to get people to take responsibility for their spiritual maturity is to teach them habits of faith. Once that happens, they become self-feeders. People follow Christ not because you've led them there, but because it's who they are, right? People need to build habits within their life for things to truly stick and become a part of who they are. You can't just, you know, do things every once in a while um, and let that become an aspect of, of your life, right? It has to be a habit. It has to be something you've intentionally sought. You've built the pattern. Your brain is wired for it. That's when impact happens. That's when growth happens. And that's when you have powerful habits um, that ultimately make you stronger, make you better. So that's all from the book, The Power of Habits by Charles Duhigg. Um, a great book, um, whether you're evaluating yourself as an individual, whether you're looking at an entire organization, book's got a lot of great content on what it looks like to build positive corporate habits and leadership habits, um, or from a faith perspective, right? Building habits that are, help you walk with the Lord, um, quality book would recommend, um, that is this week's book in review. We've got a few more jams for you on today's show, so you don't want to miss those. And then I will sign us out and, uh, That'll be that, but we're not there yet. We've got 15 more minutes, so stay tuned. We've got some good music for you, and thanks for listening again. This is Prime Time with Parker Primrose, hosted on Studio U Radio, the voice of OU. 
And again, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at prime underscore time underscore OU, or you can email me at parker.primrose at OU.edu. Thanks for listening. Let's jam. All right, folks, we've got one last song for you. We're going to end on a high. Here comes the sun with the Beatles, and that'll be a wrap for today's show. You've been listening to Primetime with Parker Primrose on Studio U Radio. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. We hope you appreciated the show. I know we had some awesome interviews and segments. I had a lot of fun, and I hope you did too. So that is a wrap. There's a great show coming right after me, so don't turn away. Um, But until then, here comes the sun. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the rest of your Monday.